There it is. Good morning. Welcome to Bible study at Bay Shore Family Camp. My name is Ellen Harbin. My husband and I are the deans of this particular camp, and uh, we're just excited for the four Bible study teachers that we have this year. Um, it makes it a little easier to make a decision on which Bible study you're going to when you're aware that the Bible studies are all going to be online on audio version. Um, and it is my understanding that they will be put on there th this week, Austin, do you think? Yeah, sometime throughout the week, the Bible study. So what if you miss a study, then you just grab it. Now, that doesn't mean that you sleep in and not come to any. That's not what that means. <laughs> be present for one. But uh, you are in with uh, Joel and he's going to be teaching on parables, and that's why you are here. And so we're, we're grateful for that. I do have just a couple of announcements, and uh, then, I'm, then we're going to pray, and then we're going to let Joel just get on teaching. Um, so first announcement is today at 2 o'clock is our family frenzy. It's kind of a team, four people per team uh, scavenger hunt. It is not um, physically active except to just be able to walk. And in order to finish the thing, you know, you might want to walk, have a little bit of a, you know, kick in your step. So it's up to you on whether or not you want to be a part of that. We would love to have as many teams participate. They're just going to meet right out here. It's called the Tab Field for the Tabernacle, just out over here on the Tab Field. If you're not going to participate in the Family Frenzy as a team, and you would like to volunteer, we do need volunteers to help. If you are willing to do that, you don't need to tell me because I can promise you I will forget. You just need to show up at 1.30 out here on the tab field, and Christine Harbin will be the one who is manning that particular event, and she will let you know what you need to do. And uh, as, a, as somebody to volunteer, she's going to give you a particular station and tell you what happens at that station, and then you just stand at a particular place somewhere around the campgrounds for uh, between 2 and 3 o'clock for the family frenzy. It's that simple. So if you want to do that, if you have children in the programming here, uh, Sarah Brooks has asked that we remind you that in, during the evening service, you bring your children with you into here. So Lord's Lambs on up, 3-year-olds on up, they come into here with you. They don't get dropped off down there. They don't get put into the nursery or the toddler room waiting to go to their place. They come with you here, and then we will dismiss them. And if you're more comfortable walking with them at that point, that's up to you. But uh, that was uh, an announcement that we needed to make for that. I think those are my only two announcements. If not, then you'll hear it later, I guess. So um, I think that uh, we are ready to learn Jeremiah 15, 16 says, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. We've come here to feast on God's word. He brings it to us. He offers it to us. Today, he is offering it to us through Joel. And I, is it okay to call you by your first name like that? Okay. You're not like Mr. D or anything like that, just... They, okay, <laughs> but Joel works? Okay, awesome. So uh, why don't we go to the Lord together, and then we'll let Joel start teaching, all right? 
Would you please pray with me? God, we are just so grateful for these grounds and this place. God, it is an honor. It is a privilege. It is a most humbling thing to know that we are walking on these grounds where so many have walked before. They have prayed. They have given this land over. They have given this camp to you. And God, I pray that as we walk these grounds, that we are tending and, and keeping care over this place well so that those that walk in the future can say that of us as well. God, I thank you that in this tabernacle at this time, you have invited each person here. They might have seen it on an ad. They might have seen it in a, on, a, on a slide. They might have heard about it from human voice. But God, you are always the one who is wooing and at work first. And so we're grateful that you have called us to this place. We are ready to learn from you. Thank you for Joel and his obedience to want to teach your word. You have called him to teach. And so we're going to trust God that what he teaches is what you want us to hear. So continue to pour into all of us. And we just give you all the praise and all the glory. And we, Holy Spirit, we, we need your anointing. And we're so grateful that it's here. But we want you to know that we invite you in this place as well. You are most welcome. And it is in Jesus, your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, would you distribute these back to those lovely ladies who just came in? It's a, it's a joy for me to be able to be back at Bayshore again, as I mentioned last night, and many of you have heard this before. It was uh, 26 years ago. Uh, Deb Yordy would have been there. Leonard would have been there. Mike Loomis, you may have been there. Uh, Kent Fischl invited me to be a counselor at Bayshore Camp. I was not living for the Lord. I was a believer, but not living for the Lord. And I made a lordship commitment right back there, not having any idea of the implications that would have on my life. And here, 26 years later, um, it's just a joy for me to come back to what's, uh, in some ways, my spiritual home. I was the evangelist here for the 100th anniversary. Some of you may remember, Louis would have remembered, just a few years ago. And uh, did men's retreat three years ago here, and so uh, Bayshore is a, is a special place for me. Married to my lovely wife, uh, very first time I laid eyes on Judy, um, I, the, the Lord said to me, I, was, I would have been 20 years old, and he said, one day you're going to marry that girl, and that was um, 44 years ago, and, uh, and somebody asked me this morning, did Judy come to camp, and I said, no, I did a camp a week ago, and then I did this one. And she just says, have fun, I'm going to play. And so she, it's kind of good for, you know, the separation is really healthy for us, for our relationship. And some of you are nodding, saying, I know exactly what he's talking about. <laughs> Why don't we try that? <laughs> so uh, three grown boys, all married, uh, with five little grandkids that are 15 minutes away. One of our boys lives in Brooklyn, New York, married a girl from Thailand, uh, speaks perfect Thai. Her family runs a Thai restaurant in Chicago. And she works in the World Trade Center, and so our, our families, the other two boys are near to us. We live 10 minutes nor north of Notre Dame Stadium, and so go Irish. Uh, on game weekends, you stay out of that area. <laughs> and I teach school full-time in Niles, Michigan. Some of you may have heard of Niles, Michigan. Now that I'm semi-retired, I'm teaching pastor at Beulah Missionary Church, having pastored for 40 years, and now I'm kind of returning to public school, which is an absolute blast. 
you have no idea what's happening in the public schools. Unbelievable. And I tell you what, what a thrill to be right in there among the wolves, right where the beer cans and poker chips are. Uh, remember a few uh, years ago or a year ago when <coughs> the president had been using language that was, you know, and uh, people said, I can't believe the president would talk like that, locker room talk. I'm thinking, I hear that kind of language every single day. Public school, and man, to be right there with those kids, and they know I'm a pastor, and so is the faculty, and you know, you, get, you gotta overcome that, you know. But it's, um, it's been just absolutely fabulous, and so I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't give that up for the world. Well, every time you come in here this, this week, I'm gonna give you a puzzle, I'm kind of a puzzle guy. There are people here that are gonna just come just simply for the puzzle. And so I'm going to run through the answers. If you want extras to keep copies, I've probably got uh, 10 or 15 of these things. We'll do five this week. Here we go. You ready? Who, got, who has the first one? Fish out of water. Very good, boys and girls. One in a row. A2. Time flies. Good. A3 is a harder one. Snake eyes is correct. Get it? Snake eyes. All right. A4 is easy. Very nice. Uh, put a B in there. Those of you who are anal retentive are going to wish there was a B in the margin. B1. Brain drain. Somebody say water on the brain. <laughs> That's really good. Extra credit. Brain drain or water on the brain. How about B2? Birds and the bees. Some of these are going to be really, really bad groaners. I'm just apologizing beforehand. Up. Sleep 24 hours? No. Daydreaming. She is dreaming of a 24-hour day. Good. Uh, B4. Wait in the wings. That's yeah, pretty bad, aren't they? C1. Smile from ear to ear. Is that awful? All right, C2, <laughs> moving target. I'll take it. That's it, target on his back. You got a target on your back. Good. Uh, C3. Spell it out. B-U-T is in the, that's awful. B-U-T is in the eye of the beholder. Oh, man. Is that a bad one? Yeah, okay. C4. Seventh year itch. Good. Uh, D1. You don't know the half of it. See it? You don't know the half of it. Good. D2. Excellent. Stand up and be counted. See, I'm going to be teaching parables in a second, and you're going to go up, stand up and be counted. I should have got that one. All right, D3. Fall asleep. Good. Uh, D4. <laughs> yeah, I remember, I, I live near Notre Dame. Um, Sister, no. 
Well, first of all, do you know what the little insignia, the little symbol is? That's at. And what's that a picture of? Habitat. It's a habit. Nuns wear these. Okay, E1. Very good, you got that one. E2. Bill Gates, you got that one. E3 is tougher. Close. Hide your head in the ground. The head of the word ostrich is hidden in the word ground. It's in a different font. You see it? The O from ostrich is tucked inside the word ground. Hide your head. An ostrich hides his head in the ground. Good. And the last one's easy. Go off at half cocked. Very nice. All right. Are you exhausted? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's round one of a scheduled five-rounder. So come early tomorrow. I'll have them for you, and you can work on them. Again, if you want extras to run off for your... We do this every Wednesday night before our Bible study at Beulah Missionary Church, and people just, they, they go crazy. They come in a half hour early just to work on the puzzle. So, Okay, um, parables. Pull out your note outline. It's on the flip side. Um, actually, uh, and... and uh, I want you to write at the top, this is the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. We're going to be talking all this week, and then I'm going to break the rule on Friday. I've, I've themed this kingdom parables. Do I need to give you one of these, ma'am? There you go. You know, here, take an extra one for your glove compartment. Okay. You need one over, who else needs one? There we go. The reason I've called these kingdom parables is that there are a series of parables that Jesus will teach. You need one too? Concerning the kingdom. Would you take a, a few extra? There's some other people back there that need some. There you go, ma'am. Yeah. Jot at, your, um, at the top of your page as well, Matthew 13. Matthew 13, I'm going to read it off my Bible app, beginning at verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Remember elsewhere in the Gospels it says, and he did not teach them anything without using parables. So the question becomes, why did Jesus use parables in his teaching? Who knows the answer to that question? I mean, that was purposeful. Listen to his answer. He replied, I'm in uh, Matthew 13, 11, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Now, what is the antecedent of the pronoun them? I teach English. Pharisees. The secrets have been given to you, but not to these knuckleheads, is what he's saying. Whoever has, meaning the disciples, will be given more, 
And they will have an abundance, meaning of spiritual understanding and truth. Whoever does not have these other clobberheads, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Those seeing, they do not, even though they have uh, physical eyes, they do not have spiritual understanding. Pharisees. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, you will be ever hearing but never understanding, you will be ever seeing but never perceiving, for this people's heart has become calloused, and they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. And so the reason that Jesus taught in parables, in a nutshell, was it would give understanding to those who are open and hungry, and to those who are callous, disobedient, or indifferent, boom, it's going to go over their head. See? He can accomplish two things with one teaching. The same sun that melts the butter hardens the clay. That is why he's going to teach kingdom parables. Now, I will break my own rule on Friday. Friday, as I alluded to last night, Friday I will teach on prodigals. I did that a number of years ago. We had 200 people in here. If you, and and I, I speak from experience. We have a prodigal son. It is the dirty secret of the evangelical church. And it's just not talked about. But it touches nearly every family. There are people in here whose sons and daughters and grandkids, by the way, we're losing our kids. I heard a week ago that in the college years, listen to this statistic, 80% of Christian kids walk away from the faith. 80%. And so you've got parents suffering in silence, you've got grandparents. What do you do when you have a prodigal? I'm going to spend Friday talking about that, and I'm going to give you practical tips on what to do, what not to do, frame the issue. I've done a lot of research on this, and so I'd highly encourage you, either go online or be here. That's what we're dealing with on Friday. Why am I breaking the rules? It's not a kingdom parable. It's a parable, but not a kingdom parable. See, this is Luke 15 stuff. Prodigal son? That's one of the parables, but it's not a kingdom parable. We're going to be talking about kingdom parables for the first four days. Okay, here we go. Matthew 13 is where we're going to be trafficking. Once again, if you've got your Bibles, Matthew 13. I want you to look at... Oh, I've got it right there, don't I? Maybe I ought to see what I'm doing. Yeah, okay. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven... Now watch, he's going to use a simile, is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field, though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. What in the world is that about? And they're just, they get this confused look on their face, and it says, and he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast 
that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. End of the parable. One verse parable. Okay, let me push the pause button and rewind just for a moment. The issue becomes, where's my clicker? What is the kingdom of God? And there's going to be some individuals, maybe most of us, who don't know what that means. Jesus speaks of, you know, the kingdom of God is, you know, the kingdom of God is upon you. The kingdom of, I'm ushering in my kingdom. What does he mean by the kingdom of God? Most people don't know, and it's used throughout the Bible. By the way, jot it down. Over a hundred times in the gospel, the phrase is used. Over a hundred times. The kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. Now, if he uses this over a hundred times, it would seem reasonable for us to understand what this means. Now, to a Jew in that day, how would they interpret that phrase? I have come to restore the kingdom. It is a political issue. They were under what kind of occupation? Roman occupation. The Roman boot was upon their neck. And so to a Jew, remember on Good Friday, Hosanna, which means save us now. They are not talking about salvation. What are they talking about? Deliver us from whom? Romans. So Palm Sunday, and I'm going to be in Israel, trip number five in three weeks. Walk in the Via Dolorosa. Come down off the Mount of Olives. We know exactly the route he would have taken off the Mount of Olives. Starts at Bethphage. Looks like Bethphage. Bethphage comes down the Mount of Olives and begins winding through, goes through the Golden Gate, the Gate Beautiful, where the man was healed. He would have entered through that gate, and they begin cutting palm branches. Why do they do that? You do that for conquering kings. And he's riding on what? A donkey. Remember? Kings do that, too, according to prophecy. And so these guys are thinking he's going to bring deliverance from the Romans. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of... He is trying to explain to them it's a spiritual kingdom. So let me ask you a question. To us, is the kingdom of God... Is he referring to a present spiritual issue that's taking place in our lives? Is he referring to the millennium, thousand-year reign, or is he referring to heaven, heaven? That's exactly right. The answer is all three. All three. See, triple, triple prophecy. And so I think the best way, when you see that phrase, the best way to help you, and this is helpful for me, when I see kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, think of it in this term, life under the rule and reign of the king. Easy. It covers all three. Right now, as a believer, I am living under the rule and reign of the king, right? In the millennium, we'll be under the rule and reign of King Jesus. In heaven, by the way, when you get to heaven, who are you going to see? Are you going to see God the Father? Are you going to see the Holy Spirit? Are you going to see, who are you going to see? Answer, you will see, you're not going to see three, three beings. You will see one, Jesus. Jesus. That's who you will see. And so the kingdom of heaven is a present reality as well as a future hope. So in this parable, Jesus teaches, actually they're twin parables. You've got mustard seed 
and yeast, and you and I read this thing and kind of go, parables are extremely difficult to understand. We'll talk about that more in another day or two. You got to dig a little bit. You got to work at it. And Jesus did that purposefully. He wanted people to process and think through it. The Pharisees weren't willing to, to pay the price. So the first parable deals with a mustard seed. Now, a mustard seed is very small. It's about the size of a sprinkle on a cupcake. Let me show you what a mustard seed looks like. There, right there. Can you see that? That's about the size of a mustard seed. Now, though there's some debate regarding the species that grew in the Middle East in biblical times, most scholars believe it would have been a shrub about knee, maybe waist high. Give you an idea of what that was going to look like. Oh, did I go backwards? How's that? Okay, can you see that? Now, this is what they'd make you know, mustard for your hot dogs from. Now, there's different varieties of mustard. That which we grow in the U.S. is a little bit different than what's grown in the Middle East. But this is what he's dealing with. Generally speaking, it's got a very, very small seed, like a sprinkle. It gets this big. Now, there's going to be dissonance because in the parable, it grows into a tree. What's that all about? And I'll explain that in a minute. So this is the issue of what's taking place. Now, in the second parable, Jesus speaks of not a mustard seed. He speaks of what? Yeast. This will be a familiar picture to you. Yeast. You can go to the grocery store. It's been around since antiquity, not Fleshman's, but yeast has. How would they have kept it? You use this to make bread, see? And so what you do when you mix dough and make bread, you hold some of it back, and then the next day that you put that in with that batch and make, and the yeast is just transferred to the next batch, see? And by the way, if you don't use yeast, what kind of bread does it produce? Unleavened bread. Ever heard that? The word yeast, the synonym is the word leaven. Why do the Jews eat unleavened bread? Because when they left with the Passover, Egypt, they didn't have time to sit around waiting for the bread to rise. So they're saying, you know, Frank, let's just go ahead and eat it right like this. You know, we're just going to, Charlie, let's just eat the bread the way it is. So they did. And it was that flat looking stuff, unleavened bread. And so yeast can also refer leaven, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, can also refer to sin. But leaven um, was transferred from piece to piece. Now, I did, I did some study on this. As yeast becomes active and ferments, it changes carbohydrates into carbon dioxide. What is carbon dioxide? A gas. Hence, what's happening is that the yeast is having a chemical reaction with the sugars, the carbohydrates, and produces this gas. And so you can see those little puffy, and that, that's what kind of blows it up. 
see? It's, it's something that's happening with the dough. Now, these were common objects in Jesus' day. Mustard seed and yeast. Now, some there will be critics who will come along and say, wait a minute, the mustard seed uh, in terms of botany or horticulture is not the smallest seed. And part of it, you've got to understand, he, Jesus is using idioms. You know what an idiom is? Uh, raining cats and dogs. That's an English idiom. Uh, you know, Larry kicked the bucket. That, that's an idiom. They do not translate well into another culture. Now, in Hebrew, they would refer to mustard seed as the smallest seed. Not because it necessarily was, it was just an idiom. See? In the book of Mark, it said, and Jesus healed, and the entire town showed up at his door. Critics would say, wait, 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 wait. Louise is home in bed. She didn't show up at the door. It's a phrase. Everybody's going to be there. We, we use it today. And so part of it, when you, when you see Jesus using some of these Hebrew idioms, we've got to understand, you've got to give him a break and recognize he is just simply using a figure of speech that would have been used in those days. And so what we see here, even though it's the sm smallest of all your seeds, it is the largest of garden plants. Again, that's just a common phrase that would have been used in Hebrew teaching. So, what do these parables teach us about the kingdom, or about the Christian life, or about being a believer? Here comes the practical stuff. Yeah. That's one of the things it's going to teach us about. Great. I'm going to suggest, and, I, I, and this may not be an exhaustive list, it'll be a representative list, but I'm going to suggest, I believe it teaches us three principles, there's probably more, and this is the first. Watch carefully. He puts them together because they're teaching the same truths. What do they both have in common? Mustard seed and yeast. Well, I think what he's saying is a mustard seed and leaven or yeast, they appear small, insignificant, harmless, but they pack a potential that cannot be underestimated. He is saying the kingdom is like that. That which is, appears small and insignificant. you got a little bit of powder and this little tiny seed the size of a sprinkle on a cupcake. What could be more insignificant than those issues? And Jesus is saying, you watch. The gospel is like that. This was a man that was born in obscurity... In, in, a, in an area that was not even a major player politically, Israel, in world history. You know, he's this penniless carpenter walking around, never, never went more than 50 miles from his home. You've, you know, you've heard this poem. And yet, within a few generations, the entire Roman Empire became Christian, using an idiom. It literally rocked and changed the world. That's what we're talking about. Insignificant fishermen. 
disciples. That which appears, you know what, this isn't a big deal. We've seen these guys come and go, the Pharisees said. This is not going to be a big deal. Oh, yeah, you want to know something? It is, it is going to be a big deal, dude. It is a big deal. Gen, or 1 Corinthians one twenty seven. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame those people who think that they're quote-unquote wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Uh, great things start from small beginnings. How many notes in a musical scale? Eight. Every concerto, every anthem, every hymn, every classical music, every rap song, every eight notes. 26 letters in the English alphabet. 26 letters. And yet you've got War and Peace and the Gettysburg Address. I mean, you, you, just a very small and insignificant beginning ends up becoming something that changes the world. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. The gospel is like that. Now, let me tell you how this is going to encourage you. You think that what you're doing in the kingdom, and my wife Judy tells me all the time, she goes, man, you go out, you're all over the world, you're, you, know, you speak at camps, you go overseas. And I said, man, I'm just, maybe, this, maybe you're th you think like this. I don't really have a very insignificant, I mean, I, I just, wait, 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 wait. You think, what am I doing? And I teach Sunday school, work the nursery. I, I, uh, well, wait a minute. Do you have any idea how God takes the foolish things of the world and shames the wise? Don't you think that what you're doing, and you're looking at a pile of dirty diapers or a pile of laundry, you think, eh, I just, what significance do I have? Wait a minute. God can use you. God is using you. The disciples may have felt that way as, what can we do? Twelve guys, one of, them, one of them left, hung himself, and here we are. I mean, I don't, we don't, we're, you know, we're not educated guys, and you know what? They turned the world upside down. Let me read this for you. Let me introduce you to Edward Kimball. Nobody's heard of Edward Kimball. You've heard of Edward Kimball. Never heard of him? Rest assured, most people have never heard of him. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who prayed for hyper boys in his class, but also decided, I'm going to try to win these little boys to the Lord. He decided he'd be intentional with every single last one of them. Certainly, he thought many times about throwing in the towel because they were running around the classroom and not paying attention, and maybe you've got a Sunday school class like that. If you've ever taught the Bible to young boys, you know that it can be like herding cats. One young man in particular didn't seem to understand what the gospel was about. So Kimball said, you know what? After a few years, this young man got a job, and he goes, I'm going to visit him as a job. And so he went to a shoe store where the young man was stocking shelves, confronted him in the stock room with the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus, and that young man's name was Dwight L. Moody. In the stock room on Saturday, he believed the gospel, received Christ as his Savior. Random encounter, right? 
embraces the gospel, gives his life to Jesus in the stockroom of a shoe store. What's more insignificant than that? He touched two continents, Moody Bible Institute, Moody Press, Moody Bible Church. The story doesn't end there. Actually, that's, the story begins there. Because under D.L. Moody, another man's heart was touched by God, and his name was Wilbur Chapman. Chapman became an evangelist who preached to thousands. One day while Chapman was preaching, there was a professional athlete, athlete there, had his day off, happened to attend the meeting, gave his heart to the Lord on the spot. Professional athlete, what was his name? Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was converted under Wilbur Chapman's ministry, who was converted under D.L. Moody's ministry. Billy Sunday quits baseball, became part of Chapman's team. Chapman accepted the pastor of a large church, and Billy Sunday began his own evangelistic crusades. Billy Sunday Tabernacles, less than an hour away from where I live, Monona Lake, Indiana. Out of Billy Sunday's ministry, another young man was converted. His name was Mordecai Ham. You've probably never heard of him. Ham was scholarly, dignified, became an evangelist, unorthodox style. He wasn't above renting a hearse and parading it through the streets to advertise his meetings. He came to a small town out east. Sandy-haired, lanky young man in high school vowed he wasn't going to go here, Mordecai I am. But Willie Frank, as his family called him, eventually went. And the students at the high school, Willie's high school, decided to go and interrupt the meetings of Mordecai Ham. And Willie Frank said, I might as well go and see what's going to happen. This ought to be interesting. So that night, this teenage boy went, was intrigued by what he heard, went the next night, and he responds to the invitation, and he was converted. Willie Franklin Graham. Billy Graham, the evangelist who preached to more people than any other person who has ever lived, including the Apostle Paul. The fascinating chain of events was triggered by a Sunday school teacher con teacher's concern for little boys in Chicago. See, you have no idea what's happening. You just have no idea. My first year of teaching was at Bluffton, Indiana. 1975, these were sixth graders. One of the guys in the class, his name was, they called him Pug, his name was Brett Garrett. He had been held back a year, became my favorite student, even though you're not supposed to have those as a teacher. And I got to know his family and Brett, and he kept looking at me saying, you know what, one day I'm going to be like you, Mr. D. I followed Brett through high school, and he graduated from high school, and he invited me to his high school graduation. He says to me, I'm going to be a teacher just like you. Remember, this is a kid that flunked second or third grade. So he became a t teacher. He calls me. He goes, guess what? I got, I got my first teaching job at Southern Wells teaching sixth grade just like you, Mr. D. Started calling me every year on my birthday. On my birthday. Two or three years pass, and get a call on my birthday, and guess what, Mr. D.? What's that, Brett? I'm high school principal. 
Eastside Elementary School, Bluffton, Indiana. I want you to come down and speak to the faculty. Would you do that? Sure, Brad, I'd be happy to do that. Congratulations, man. Principal, dude, that's great. A few years later, Brett calls, Mr. D, yeah, happy birthday. Thanks. This is about, calls me every year, 10 years ago. Superintendent of schools, Upland, Indiana, where Taylor University is. Look it up. Brett Garrett, superintendent of schools. I'm going to be just like you, Mr. D. My wife, Joni, and I, we've committed our lives to Christ. Francie, our little girl, she's now going to Christian college. Thanks for all that you've done for me through the years. I had no idea. I'm teaching sixth grade boys. He's already flunked. You just have no idea the power of the gospel, see? The power of your example, no matter what you do. The gospel appears small, insignificant. Notice I've written there Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the dunamis from which we get the word dynamite. It is the dunamis of God. Boom. The gospel is not just simply the power of salvation. By the way, you need to be preaching the gospel to yourself every single day. It is not just the plan of salvation. The power of the gospel within me. See? That's what it is right there. Number two. I think these two parables are teaching us that the power of God works in secret, slowly, imperceptibly, in mysterious ways we don't understand. Isn't that good? Do you understand how a little tiny sprinkle on a cupcake can become a bush? How that works, how germination works? put dough in, a, in, a, in the bread and stick it in the refrigerator or whatever, you know, and you cover it up with saran wrap. And you know how that works? But see, it's working where, where, it's working where you can't see. Imperceptibly. In ways we don't understand. You see, you have a prodigal son like I do. Or a prodigal daughter. Mike, you've been praying for my son for years. Mike texted me a week ago and asked for the picture of our son. He's been a lifelong friend. People ask me, any, this has now gone on for eight years. Any change in Nathan? My answer, yes. We just can't see it yet. See, you look on the outward appearance. You look and think that nothing's happening. You look and don't, in fact, you look and see and things are getting worse. And as we'll talk about on Friday, this has to happen. God is at work. I remember uh, First Missionary Church in downtown Fort Wayne where I was on staff a number of years ago. I'm driving down Rudisil Boulevard and there's, and there's this manhole. They tore up Rudisil. There's this manhole and there's all these, you know, and a sign out there that says men working. And they, they tore it up for like three or four months. I never saw any man working. Man working. 
you know, you're there, and you're down to one lane. You know what it's like. It was a mess. And I'm thinking, hey, these guys are leaning on their shovels. They put the sign up and go to the coffee shop or what. And then one day I'm driving down Rudis, and some guy with a hard hat pops his head out of the manhole. <laughs> well, I'll be a son of a gun. I guess he was. See, he was working underground where you couldn't see him. Maybe we need to put a sign over the heart of your son or daughter that says, God, God at work. You can't see it. It's happening in secret. Don't assume because you can't see anything that nothing's occurring. That's exactly right. We ought to be thanking God for the, pro- for the progress. Exactly right. Notice I've written down, and this is, by the way, I've, I am now making a list of prodigal verses. <laughs> Hurting parents do that. Philippians 1.6, look at it. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion to, to the day of Christ Jesus. Is that describing your son or daughter? Look at the first phrase. Being confident of this. Paul says, you can be confident of this. It's not like, oh man, I hope, I hope, I hope stuff's happening. I hope the Holy Spirit's going to bring somebody into his life. I, I hope that there's a change. I hope that he's being convicted. I hope that God's... A, no, no, no. Paul goes, I'm, I'm confident of this. That he who began the work in the heart of your daughter or your brother or your husband... He will, not might, he will carry it on to completion. Yeah, but when? Well, what's it? it does give, it gives a when. Until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, th- this is a long process. God will bring it to completion, but his timetable may be longer than yours. No, it is longer than yours. Because you want it over now because it's too painful. And again, I'm getting, getting ahead of myself. Come back on Friday. Uh, we'll be talking through this more extensively. And finally, and this is an intriguing one, the kingdom of heaven begins small but grows into something Beyond expectations. Jot the phrase, exponential transformation occurs. Exponential transformation. Commentators struggle with this parable for this reason. Listen to this. I'm going to give you a new insight. They said, Jesus says that when this mustard seed's in the ground... It, it will grow into what? And, and, the, and the critics will say that is not true. In terms of botany, that's an impossibility. Mustard seeds throughout antiquity, no matter what the variety, no matter where in the world, and there's different varieties of mustard, they only get knee to waist high. So Jesus was wrong here. No, he is not wrong here. What he is saying, he purposely phrases it like this. Jesus knows that's the way shrubs or mustard seed grows. What he's saying is, this particular mustard seed beat all expectations. This one had this, this, this transformation that was miraculous that grew into this big old tree. He purposely said it like this. 
Because what he's illustrating is to say, you think that this is the way they grow, but let me tell you what happened on this occasion. It was beyond expectations. Yeah, the expectation's this, but it went beyond expectations. See? And that's what the kingdom of God is happening in your life. He is working in your life and your marriage and your son and your daughter and your grandkids beyond your expectations. And what is true for us individually is also true for the church. Listen to me carefully. God is growing his kingdom, not just in the thumb, not simply in the state of Michigan, not just in the United States, worldwide. Listen to this. This has been a hard time to be alive. Lenny and I were talking at breakfast. What's happening politically? You know, I'm, I can hardly watch the news anymore. I mean, I'm just so frustrated with both sides of the aisle. and just I, It's beyond me. It is literally beyond me. Riots, unrest, earthquakes, tornadoes, wildfires, shootings. We had an active shooter in our school. I've, this is unbelievable. Maybe I'm just getting old. I, I never remember it being like this. And it can get discouraging. And we think that, you know what, Lord, are, are, how many times have you said this? Are you sure you're in control? Are, are you sure you're still on the throne? As believers, we get discouraged. And they say, well, look how fast Islam is growing. Fastest growing religion in the world. Listen to this. Don't you believe it? They'll say the, well, the world will be mostly Muslim by the year 2050. Christianity is on the decline. Don't believe it. The population of the world increases year by year at a staggering rate. The growth of Christianity is proceeding at a staggering rate. Year after year, 50,000 Christians baptized every week in Africa alone. Christianity is and remains the most popular religion in the world. It's not even close. Those who name Christ outnumber Muslims by over a billion. In fact, 500 Muslims come to faith to, in Christ every month in Iran. 500 Muslims a month, a country ranked among the top 10 persecutors of Christians in the world. And I've got the sources for this if you want it later on, these facts. Every day, 20,000 people come to Christ in Africa alone. 20 grand a day of the top 20 countries where Christianity is growing the fastest. Top 20, fastest growing countries of Christianity. 11 are Muslim countries. They're appearing to Muslims in dreams, just like the Magi. They believe in dreams over there far more than we do in the West. I heard a guy who was a missionary, in, and he said, I tell you what, he goes, I go down to the mosque, and I'm standing there, and a guy, he goes, a, a Christian evangelist will stand there outside the mosque. You're not allowed to preach the gospel. And what he says is, as people are going into the mosque, have you seen the man in white? Have you seen the man in white? If you've seen the man in white, and he goes, hundreds of Muslims come over and said, I've seen him in my dream. 
That's happening in Iran. There are currently 60 to 80 million Christians in China. Between 10 and 25,000 converts a day. In fact, experts say that the church in China is growing so rapidly we can't keep track of it. 79,000 new Christians every day. 79,000. That's, listen to this, that's more than 3,000 an hour. The day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came to Christ. That's, today in the world, there's a Pentecost every hour. And you've heard people say, boy, you know what? When I get to heaven, one of the first things I want to do is I want to find the Apostle Paul, or I want to find Peter, or I, I want to sit down with the beloved Apostle John and say, what was it like? What was it like to have been alive during that time and walk with Jesus? What was it like? That's not going to happen. You want to know what's going to happen when you get to heaven? The Apostle Paul and John are going to be lining up to talk to you. And they're going to say to you, what was it like to have a Pentecost every hour? The power of the gospel. You have no idea. You are living in an unprecedented times. They're going to be lining up to talk to you. What was it like to be alive at the turn of the century, into the 21st century? I'll tell you what. It goes beyond expectations. And I'm here to tell you, that's the power of the gospel that's working in your heart and in this camp and in your children and grandchildren. And you think that it's up to you. It's not up to you. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the dunamis of God. It is the power of God, and it's changing this planet, and you and I are witnessing it right now. I tell you what, I get kind of excited about this. Can you tell? Father, I just want to thank you just for the, just for the privilege of, of being alive at this time. And Lord, we are such people of little faith. And we hold our Bibles in our hands or on our cell phones and we pray for our kids and our grandkids and we just deal with life as it happens. And sometimes, Lord, it's hard for us to understand and see the big picture and to realize that you are sitting on the throne and you're not nervous. And you ordain kings and rulers and set people upon thrones. And Lord, we just got to trust that and believe that. That, you, that, Lord, it says in Psalm 2, that you look at the kings of the world and you laugh. Whether it's Trump or Putin, whoever it is, you scoff. They are not the movers and shakers today. Lord, you are. And we thank you for these parables that remind us that we have within our hearts the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, who is active, who is working, and who will bring it to completion. And Lord, our hearts are thrilled 
we rejoice knowing that you're in control. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Sorry, it's seven minutes till 10. Uh, you didn't get your money's worth. I'm going to let you go early. Sound fair enough? Hope to see you tomorrow. Anybody have any questions? Yes, Jerry. I'm going to have you uh, do this because we're recording. That way you can hold it to your mouth. Don't be afraid of it. I had the privilege of being in Israel and Palestine in January. Oh, wow. And I'm so excited to hear your statistics about China and Africa. But um, we were told there that Christians are leaving Bethlehem and um, the Muslim um, community there is, and I guess my concern is for that part of the world right now. Amen. Yeah. Bethlehem's West Bank, just like Jericho, uh, Hebron, uh, Samaria, um, and because it's West Bank, the way that they've constructed the wall that you saw it, Nazareth is probably 90% Muslim. Nazareth is one of the largest Muslim communities in the entire world. And so what you're going to see is the Muslim presence in West Bank cities, towns, Jericho, Bethlehem, Nazareth. Um, the, and, and it gets really annoying. Were you there at prayer time when they start? And, yeah, yeah, it's awful. Um, but once again, we believe that God is bringing his people back to, to, the, to the land. And Yeah, what's your question? Uh, is there a simple... Is there a simple definition for parable? Yeah, parable uh, means um, para, which is side, like a parabola or parallel. Parable means to lay side by side. And so when Jesus taught parables, he's saying, I'm teaching this story and laying it side by side with truth. And so that's basically what that means. Typically... Parables have a singular message. All the three principles I gave you are kind of different facets of the same diamond. And so typically um, they have a, a singular message that Jesus was trying to get across. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay, yeah. To lay, to lay alongside, literally what it means in the Greek language. I've always heard that it was an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Yeah, great. It's a great maxim, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's, that's a great one. Yeah. Please. Uh, maybe it will unfold throughout the teachings this week, but uh, how can you just be thrilled to be in that school environment? How can you close your mouth when you, your heart's crying out to all those kids yeah. that need to hear the gospel message? Yeah, I ended my education in despair because of the door being just slammed shut and being asked to leave if you're going to share Christ. Right. Okay, you, you've got to have something great going. Yeah, well, there, there's but. several answers to that question. Answer number one is I know that's exactly where God wants me. Mike and I have talked about that. I know, I know that's exactly where God wants me, you know. 
uh, besides being teaching pastor and doing this for fun, that's what I do during the week. Secondly, uh, I'm on faculty, sort of. I'm a long-term sub, which means when they take pregnancy leaves or when they, you know, whatever they do, they'll hire me, rather than just being a substitute, they'll hire me, for, I was there every single day of the year in one position, special ed last year. So I'm on faculty as a long-term sub. In the state of Michigan, they are so hurting for any kind of substitute, and maybe you've seen this on the news, they are now, you know, you remember those little ice cream trucks that went around neighborhoods playing a little song? They're doing that with a guy trying to recruit substitute teachers in the state of Michigan. So they are so hurting for subs that to bring somebody in who's got a graduate degree in education and a lifelong teaching license, they want to keep me. And so what I say to them is, just understand what you're getting, that I'm a pastor. And by the way, if they ask me a question, I'm going to answer it. And they said, that's perfectly okay. And so I'll bait them. <laughs> See? And, I'll, and I'll, I'll ask questions. And I'll mention David and Goliath. They say, we have no idea what you're talking about. You don't you understand the story of David and Goliath? No, well, let me tell you. And they, and they say, they'll, they'll say, but do you, you know, I'll say, well, back with Adam and Eve. Who's Adam and Eve? Or they'll say, do you believe in Adam and Eve? Well, let me tell you. The answer is yes. They'll say, what are you doing this summer? I said, I'm heading up to Michigan for two camps. What kind of camps? Christian camps. This is in front of the whole class, earth science class. What do you do there? Glad that you asked. <laughs> what I do is I, I preach the good news of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and I use the Bible. There are going to be students just like you there. I've had students, when I, I've had two principals come, come to hear me speak at our church you know, the impact on faculty and staff and students, unbelievable. And my response to Mo Molly Brawley, my principal, is fire me. Fire me. And they don't want to lose you. You know, they're hurting for subs. So end up praying with the prin two principals I've prayed with. Chris, you having a hard day? I'm having a terrible day. Chris Porter, can I pray with you? If you want. I pray with the assistant principal in his office at Niles High School. That's just unbelievable. You know, I mean, I probably couldn't have done this 30 years ago. I'm at the age now, I don't care. <laughs> I, don't need, I don't need the job. You know, I, I don't, you know. I mean, that, and by the way, I subbed at a Christian high school and didn't like it. Because, you know, it, yeah, there's different philosophies on that stuff. But I, I would rather be in a secular high school. I know, I know exactly what I'm up against. Joel, there's um, people, everybody here lives in a community. And in every community, there's a public school system. If you were to go to your administration in your public school system and say, there's a group of us from our church, and we'd like to just come and pray over the building, and we'd like to come and pray over the buses, we don't want to pray with people. We just want to pray at the buildings before school begins. You'd be amazed at the reaction that you'll get. But here's the beautiful thing. Even if they say you can't come into the building, you can still walk around the building and do some Jericho walking yeah. around your communities and ask the power of the Holy Spirit. Because I think sometimes as Christians, we like to complain a lot about what's not happening, but the challenge has to be, well, then what are we doing about it? And so, you know, just kind of coming in. Somebody else had a question. I saw a hand. Here we go. Alex. 
This is just a testimony at our church. There's a, a teacher there that's been there for about 40 years now, and every Thursday they have a breakfast that the church puts on and that any student in the school can come to and have breakfast. And they get to hear testimonies about people who've been transformed by Christ. And they get to ask questions. And, and it's amazing because it's not a lot of the school or church children that go. It's the, the unchurched children that come. Yeah. There's a Bible study in our kids' school, um, public school. Just got started. <coughs> it happens after school over there. It helps when you're 65 years old and have gray hair. You know, there's a certain amount of credibility that comes among the faculty and students because just by age, and that help, that's in my favor. Our church is very small, but our pastor went to the school system and said, what can our church do? And our church does now the uh, reading buddies in all of the uh, yeah. elementary schools. We each have 10 to 15 kids that we see once a week, and there's 12 of us that participate. Yeah. Any other questions about parables? Anybody? Yep. You mentioned when we get to heaven, we're going to see Jesus only. What, what's your theology behind that? Well, I mean, the doctrine of the Trinity, three in one, partially because he's the one that's exalted. In him, everything was made, Colossians 1 that I believe that he is the visual representation of God, Colossians 1, that I believe when we get there that we, that we will see Jesus, that he is the lamb that was slain, and that, I guess that would be the short answer to that. I, I don't think we're going to see three beings or, you know, there's God the Father over there, but if you want to stand in this line, you can meet Jesus. And, and I, 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 he was the, the visual representation of the, of the invisible God, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know. That's my opinion, but dwells within him, yeah. The entire fullness of the Godhead, yeah, right. So, anybody else have a question? Yeah. You're still stuck on one of those puzzle answers, right? No. I'm <laughs> just teasing you. Yes, you've given us a lot of statistics about other countries, but what are the statistics for America and Christianity? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think that the statistics in America are as promising. Um, you've probably, I mean, this is the statistic I, I gave you concerning 80% of college-age kids will walk away from the faith, you know. Um, living in, in where the University of Notre Dame is, and by the way, I am not going to bash Notre Dame. They, they have an unbelievable ministry, and they touch the entire community. Our little granddaughters are in tap dance class, and we went there for a, um, in Mishawaka, Indiana, right next to South Bend, and we went there for their uh, recital, and there's probably 50 kids in this dance class. Mayor of Mishawaka stands up and goes, by the way, the reason you didn't pay any money for your kids, we got a $50,000 grant from the University of Notre Dame wasn't even South Bend, it was Mishawaka. They have a huge, huge um, impact on the community. Um, but with what's happened in the Catholic Church, uh, even we, evangelicals, we have our issues. You might say, well, Roman Catholic, you know what, we've got our issues too. 
And I think, you know, and people will say, well, you can't be a Catholic and be a believer. That, that's nonsense. The, I, I know some priests and some Catholic people that are wonderful, wonderful born-again Christians. And, um, and you might say, well, yeah, but they're theology. Well, some of our theology is goofy. You know, we got people in our churches that aren't walking with the Lord. So, I mean, um, they are now, they now have um, uh, more people. What's it called? More people are checking the box, no religion. Nuns, that's it, N-O-N-E-S. And that, that is now the latest issue in America. They're called the nuns. How can we reach them? No affiliation whatsoever. And part of it was with some of the stuff that the evangelical church did, you know, years ago. Um, by the way, statistically, evangelical Christians are, are just above lawyers and just below prostitutes in terms of how they're viewed in the culture. And that's, just, that's too bad. That's just too bad. I mean, I, we need to take a stand for righteousness, uh, but God does not call us to be, um, to be goofy. And uh, I think we need to be um, a lot more loving and kind and um, concerned about uh, injustice and the poor. You, know, you might think I'm preaching a social gospel, I'm not. Um, Jesus was concerned about those issues. And so, anybody else have a question? Now that I've offended most of you. <laughs> All right. So, uh, thank you. Thank you for bringing truth and for doing it with You're excitement. Wel You're welcome. You know, when somebody's going to preach about dunamis or teach, I mean, that was a little bit of preaching came in there. Yeah. When, uh, when somebody's going to talk about dunamis, Holy Spirit power, you want to you wanna kind of see it, don't you? And hear it. And so, thank you for, um, for being used yeah, this morning. We have snacks, uh, cookies, and whatever else will be outside uh, about 10:15. Maybe it's out there already now. You need to choose which Bible study you're going to go to next, either in here or down in Patton, and be ready to go at 10:30. Yes. Sure. I just I would just like to make another public school announcement. Jesus called me at Asbury College to the public school, and I spent 33 years there. But I want you to know now, as a retired person and as church members, that there is a significant field for people to go into the public school, tutor, just go tell a teacher you'd like to hear a kid read. And there's a, uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, there's a church that has taken on a whole school building. The test scores for those kids have raised over 20 points in one year, just because Teachers are overloaded with students, and we Christian people can get in there and care, and you can answer questions, and you can love them. All right. Amen. Thank you. <laughs>